Okay, our scripture reading for today is found in Philippians. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. You don't have to turn there, just listen as I read. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Do you know that worriers are the best prayers? It's true. If you're a worrier, you're a prayer. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Steve, I'm going to have you come and introduce our, our uh, guest today. This is going to be kind of a conversation. Uh, Gene and Bob, if you want to just have a seat up here, and we'll just have, we're going to, it's going to be like having coffee with, um, with Gene and Bob. Steve's going to introduce them, and you guys get to be a part of it. So, Yes, it's a pleasure of mine to introduce uh, Gene, or Bob and Dr. Gene Young. Uh, uh, Gene, uh, several of those from the Altona area will probably be very familiar with. Gene's a Rova graduate, uh, just a couple years older than I am. Um, but anyway, I know her probably brothers better and her family, but anyway. So, yeah, uh, so grew up here, became a physician, a surgeon, uh, practiced here in the States, and then had the call to go in the, in, to the mission field. And uh, uh, along that way, met Bob, and so they've kind of gone on. So I'll have probably, I won't try to come out with dates and times and everything. I'm sure that'll be part of the, of the discussion, but... It's just kind of nice to see a local person uh, attended church down here, the Lutheran Church. So, uh, very uh, been founded in, in the faith for her whole life. So, uh, it's a pleasure for me to introduce uh, Bob and Jean Young, and uh, we'll have our pastor act as the moderator today and uh, see how it goes. So, thank you, Steve. Here you go, Scott. I am pumped about today. Um, when I was a kid, and I went to a little Baptist church in Galesburg. We would have missionaries come, and we might give them a Sunday night, or we might give them 10 minutes to just kind of share a blurb, but it was never the main thing. And today I wanted to make it the main thing, because I, I think it's really important. But I remember being a kid, sitting there listening to these stories, and I was always saying to myself, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I, I, do, I will not go to Africa. Like, there, there's no way. And that's what you guys did. You, in, in 1988, you guys went to Africa. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the people that you serve. Okay, um, so uh, Steve is correct. Um, I'm a farm girl. Um, my dad was Lowell Burling. I grew up three miles north of Altona, graduated from Rova in 1966, so you can start doing the math. <laughs> uh, and, um, but here's the interesting thing. When I was 11 years old, I read the biography of a, of a woman medical missionary named Ida Scudder, who was in India. And shortly after reading that, one night I had a dream. 
And God called me and he said, I want you to be a missionary. Well, you know, I went down the following morning and told my mom, and she said, that's nice. <laughs> Nobody took me seriously except the Lord. Don't underestimate what can happen to kids. I am so excited about your ministries that you're going to start for the kids because it's the kids that have pure hearts that can be called into things, and that dream laid there. It laid there while I went through all the school and everything else. And it laid there when I wasn't really following the Lord, and then when I was, God activated. And we went to Ghana in 1988. We thought, uh, and then you say, where is Ghana? Jim Jones, right? No, no, that's South America. Ghana is in West Africa. We're right there between Ivory Coast and Togo. We originally went in to do on a program for one mission hospital, which didn't work out, but God had to get us into the country, and we became semi-fluent in a major tribal language, and the Assemblies of God Ghana Church got to know about us. So then they called us to come back in 1992, and we went to a place called Saboba. Now, we didn't want to go to Saboba. We had our reasons why we did not want to go to Saboba. It was out in the middle of nowhere. It was three-fourths of the way up the country. There was no electricity. They did not have a hospital. They had a tiny health center with 11 workers. Now, let's get it straight, folks. I am a general and pediatric surgeon. I have nine years of training in surgery. And you want me to go where? Okay, so fine. But we told them that we'd go look at the place. Bad move. We went, we looked at the, we pulled into the mission house yard, got out of the vehicle, and the Holy Spirit descended. Whew, like this big warm blanket. All of a sudden, we're coming to Saboba. We tried to play cool, you know. Oh, we have to go home and pray. But if we were to come, we were dead meat. We were coming. Okay, so we came to this little place, and we started out very slowly. And then when a year had passed, a small tribal war broke out, and suddenly I became the only doctor for 100,000 Kunkumbas who couldn't go anyplace else. Now, you didn't hear about our thingy because Rwanda was going crazy at that point. So everybody heard at Rwanda. Frankly, I was okay because I didn't want my parents to know what was going on. <laughs> I was afraid they'd be afraid. Uh, but what actually happened was we turned that little health center into a small hospital with an operating room, uh, a lab, uh, a pharmacy, and 37 beds that we shoved in every place we possibly could. Um, we came, we went out of Saboba in 96 so I could do my master's in public health at Tulane. And when we came back to Ghana in 98, uh, the Assemblies of God had some other doctors in there. So we went to a place called Damango, which is still in the northern part of Ghana, but on the opposite side. Uh, worked there five years. But then by that point, um, the Assemblies of God had run out of doctors. Um, how many of you know that it's almost impossible to get doctors to come to rural areas? Even, I understand even in Galesburg, they're having big recruitment problems, okay? And when you talk, talk, uh, talk about smaller places, it's worse. Well, this is the same thing all over the world, and in Ghana, the doctors are no different. Everybody wants to go to the big cities and make money. And if they aren't, even if they have some idea they'd like to do something else, their families are pushing them to go to the big cities and make money. 
So we came back to Saboba in February of, 20, of 2004. We've been there ever since. And until 2014, I was the only doctor. Uh, we had, we drew from a population then of about 120,000 people. Since then, they've kind of split things a little bit, but we still draw, we figure we've still got about 80 to 100,000 people well, in our pot catchment area. Let me just make sure, till 2014, you were the only I was it. doctor for yes. 100,000 people? Yes. So you're doing surgeries. You're I doing was doing surgeries. I was doing. I, I was. I was making rounds. I was doing surgeries. I was seeing patients in the outpatient department, um, doing whatever whatever I could. Uh, fortunately, by that point, we had um, a fully staffed lab. I w uh, because in the beginning, I was the only lab tech. When we started the lab, I was the lab tech. Um, we had we had a lot more workers by that point. Uh, and they built some new buildings that you see in that one picture. So we had 75 beds by then also. Uh, and we had, we had some nurses and so forth. But yes, that's quite true. Um, right now, as it stands, um, uh, one doctor is on study leave, one doctor is there, and I'm here, which is one of the reasons I have to go back. Um, now, Bob is an EMT welder, maintenance mechanic, jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. And he fixes things. Um, all you farmers who've had to repair your own equipment are familiar with this process. You know, the foot bone connected to the ankle bone. If I jiggle this, will it do that kind of stuff? And um, he's had to repair things with pieces that you wouldn't believe, um, especially when they ship us beds from America that have, are broken. Um, but um, what I'm doing now is um, I've been able to scale back a little bit. I'm mostly taking care of the kids and the newborn intensive care unit, but I'm still operating. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bob, Bob has a ministry all his own, though, and I want to let him talk about it. Yeah. yeah I think this is working. Yeah, working. Good morning. Hello. I'm pleased to see all these young people here, in young, you know, grade school, junior high. I didn't come to know Christ until I was almost 38 years old. I wasted a lot of years. And please, raise your children up to know the Lord. I, when I came to know Christ, I was at a point in my life that I had a 38 in this hand, six rounds in this hand. God had a purpose. He's got a purpose for each and every one of you sitting here. Maybe it's to be the, the best cleaner in the school. Maybe it's just to greet somebody as you go into the store. Thank that clerk. Thank your police officers. Thank your military personnel when you see them. That's my ministry a lot in Ghana. I greet every police officer I see. And Ghana, police, fire, ambulance service, prisons, it's all a national service. So every police officer in Ghana is working for the government. Mm. But these guys don't get thanked. Our people don't get thanked. And the other thing I do is make sure she gets at least one good meal a day because she doesn't always get home, and I like to eat, too. Now, when she, she described her experience with the Holy Spirit and her calling, 
yeah. to, to she knew she was going to be a missionary someday. Yeah. Did you did you have the same experience or was it uh, different? In 1980, I I became a a Christian and I gave my life to Christ in about October 1979. 1980 at the Assembly of God Church where I was going, we had a missionary. And I looked at my little brother and I said, take that lady something else. I could never be a missionary. Mistake. <laughs> but uh, I met Jean in South Carolina. We were married in 1982. And she told me then she was going to be a missionary. Said, oh, that's fine. I like travel. <laughs> hey, I, I've been in the Navy. I've been around a bit. But in 1986, I went to Chile on a short-term mission. She went every morning while I was gone and prayed in the Church of Christ, wasn't it? Or Church, Church of God. Church of God, Church every of morning. God down the I was worried, okay? I had a call. He's going, oh, yes, I'll go along. I know. Well, no way, Jose. So I went down the street and prayed every morning, 5 o'clock. I'm down there on my knees begging, Lord, give him his own call. Give him his own call. Give him his own call. When I got off the plane after two weeks in Chile, I walked up to her, and the next thing I know, I said, it's time to apply to the mission field. The thing about any ministry, if you're a missionary, if you're a pastor, if both people in the family, if the do not have a calling. If one doesn't want to be there, it's going to be a rocky road. We've seen it happen in the mission field where the, the one person is on fire for missions and the other, I'd rather be home. It, it doesn't work. But like I said, each and every one, this young guy right here, Jesus got a purpose for him. He's got a special something for you to do every one of you it's not just us missionaries are just somebody to put their pants on one leg at a time just like anybody else we have our good days we have our bad days and the only thing that keeps us going is people like you that sit in the pews that are out while they're combining praying for us you see all these communication towers they're either based in a big lump of cement to keep them up, or there's all kinds of guide wires. And you people are our guide wires and our fine foundation in your prayers for us. Pray for people. Pray for the, your pastor. Pray for anybody that you see. One of the things I do if, when I'm someplace, if I go into the store, Let's say I go to the convenience store down here. If, if I get a chance, I pray for that person's safekeeping. I pray that they go home at the end of the day safely. And that's a ministry. Prayers don't cost you anything. Just a couple of seconds, to, even if it's a, God bless you, may you stay safe. I'd, I'd like to make a comment because I, I would really like your prayer list. Now, let me tell you how I pray for my patients. Every time I'm going to operate on somebody, before I operate, I lay hands on them 
And I ask, I dip the wound in the blood of Jesus. I ask God to heal that patient without any complications. And then I claim that patient, their family, everybody they know, everybody in their town. And in Ghana, of course, we have lots of tribes. So everybody in their tribe for salvation and baptism, the Holy Spirit, and for peace in their area. Why do I pray for peace? Because we've got all kinds of frictions. People remember these things that happened years and years ago, and then they get into it. But when you're talking about how can you magnify your prayers, that's how you can do it. You can go down your prayer list and say, okay, I'm not only praying for this person. I'm praying for everybody they know, everybody in their town, everybody in their family, so that it spreads even further. And this is very important. And then pray for revival. Um, we may be in Ghana, but believe me, we've been praying for revival in America seriously, very seriously. Uh, and uh, I, I think this is important, that you know how, how it's, and Bob's, it's not difficult. Oh, switch. Try that one. Well, I, and I want to say, too, that um, you're, you're doing medical work there, but your, your goal is to introduce people to Jesus. And I, I just think there's one, I want to read this, because this is this year. You wrote this this year on your blog. Uh-huh. Uh, you are doing military-style chest-to-ground push-ups, and you continued morning by morning. You'd get up, read your Bible, and do bursts of push-ups. You had no idea why these exercises would become so important. And then you say this, fast forward to yesterday when you had an 18-year-old mother who in, went into cardiorespiratory arrest just as you were about to do her C-section with the, with the anesthetist handling the breathing and drugs you were the only person in the room that was good at CPR. So you're doing compressions. You don't know if it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You didn't know. But you know this. You had a live mother and a live baby at the end of the case, both breathing room air without a problem. And then you realize why God had you doing all those push-ups. And you, you told you're doing multiple surgeries a day. There were, there were times where you would lay on one table and, and draw blood from you to support that person, have the blood transferred, and then you'd unhook and get up and finish the job. That-, uh, that, that has happened on um, about three or four separate occasions. See, the problem we have in uh, our little places in Ghana is we don't have a lot of blood banking. Um, blood donation is still a big problem. You, um, you have a lot of people have funny feelings about blood, so if it's not a direct relative, they won't donate. And I'm O positive. So that means that as long as somebody is not RH negative, um, I can donate to them. And uh, so that's, yeah, I have donated a few times. Um, uh, uh, I've had somebody put a pack in, put a pack in hold, hold, hold things down, donated the blood, um, drink water, do something, try and get myself rehydrated, and then I'm finished. Now, is that a safe thing to do? No. Did God give us grace? Yes. But, yes, it has happened. Yeah. And the, and the goal is, again, you're doing this to introduce people to Jesus. And as you're yes. praying for them, that's important. You were telling me that, unlike in America, I mean, there is, there is visible um, spiritual oppression in terms of people are worshiping. Oh, if you, come, if you come to our little town of Saboba on a market day, you may see a calabash out at a, the a junction where two roads come together and they'll have some other stuff around there. That is a form of witchcraft to try and entrap anybody who's coming on any of those roads. 
Uh, we have people who are sacrificing animals to, uh, we call them fetishes, but they're demons. Um, and and uh, in addition, you have uh, people who are church members and they go to church on Sunday, but yeah, you know, well, maybe you're not sure how powerful this God is, so maybe you'll get somebody to do something some other day of the week. Um, so there's, a, yeah, there's a lot of this kind of thing, and there's a lot of um, full-bore witchcraft where people do put curses on other people and so forth. Um, when we went to Ghana, we, <laughs> we knew nothing about spiritual warfare, absolutely nothing. We had to learn in a hurry. Um, one book that I would recommend to anybody who's interested, there's a book, and it's an old book. It was first written in 1975 by a guy named Mark Bubeck. It's called The Adversary, and he's got two prayers in that. Well, one is a statement of faith, and the second one is a spiritual warfare prayer. Uh, and they're both excellent. Um, the book is so good that they just issued the, I think, the 40th or 50th anniversary edition of it not long ago. Um, the interesting thing is Bubeck was not a charismatic at all. Bubeck was a professor, when this started, he was a professor at a conservative Baptist seminary in Denver, and what happened was it was the 1960s, and his kids were getting spiritually attacked. They were, um, I don't know, they, you know, they had a lot of demonic stuff going on and uh, a lot of the music and so forth, and he had to learn how to pray to protect his family, and that's how the whole thing got started, and finally, he, he wrote, actually he wrote The Adversary and he wrote Overcoming the Adversary also. They're both very good, but the, we do the prayers in, from the, those two prayers from The Adversary every morning. Uh, it's very important. Uh, you have to be, you need to be very careful. You know, so many times as American Christians, we're kind of careless. We don't really think that something could go wrong and we hand Satan the chance to attack us. Uh, how? Well, spirit of offense. Somebody says something you don't like. Somebody hurts your feelings. You get offended. As long as you're staying offended, you're handing Satan your head on a platter. Um, we have had to learn that because there are a lot of things that have happened. We're working in a different culture, and people misunderstand or we misunderstand things uh, misunderstandings can crop up very easily and if you don't um, keep clean before the Lord wherever you aren't clean before the Lord that's where Satan is going to get you and it will happen just as readily in America as it does in Ghana now you guys are in a season of life where most of us in America are probably looking at the balances in our 401k and watching that. Now, and you guys are going back in November, right, to Ghana. What are, what are you praying for? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? I'm praying for revival. I'm praying for revival in America. I'm praying for revival in Ghana. I want to see every Kunkumba tribesman flat on their faces before the Lord with the Holy Spirit moving so strongly that none of us can get up. I want to see people weeping and repenting. I want to see Americans weeping and repenting. I want so desperately 
to see our hospital be a place of God's praise, a place of God's glory, a place of health, a place of help, a place of hope, a place of healing, a place of holiness, and a place of shalom. And I want that more than anything else in the whole world. I want people to see Jesus through us. Working? I just share one. There you go. You were saying that we're at an age. I'm 79. Gene is, what, 70, 73. Can anybody show me in the Bible where it says, retire? <laughs> when, when the Lord is ready to take me home, he'll take me home. But I'm going to try to live as well as I can, to, even if it's just greeting somebody to show them the love of Christ. You know, I have, I do a lot of different things that when I'm called, I go to the hospital. Not so much anymore because we have a maintenance staff now, but they have a problem, they call me. I do other things. I make sure that our house is clean because with COVID, we don't have a house help. I have, I go and visit certain people in town at least once a week. That, the uh, pastor that re retired after 44 years, the Muslim guy who's ha has such an infection in his leg it almost rotted it off, the Catholic guy who, who has lost the use of one leg. And I pick on everybody that has challenges in a wheelchair because people ignore them. I treat them just like anybody else. So I have people I shake my fist at, and they laugh, and they shake their fist back. And it's just show people that you know they're there. You've got people that are, are sitting there, and nobody speaks to them because they're a little different. Or they don't want to, they kind of hunker down and you greet them enough times they're going to come out of that shell. And if they don't, at least they know that somebody cares. What would you say to, to someone young or old if, if they were trying to discern a calling? Maybe not to Africa, but into more of a, a prominent ministry role. What, what would you tell somebody if they're in the process of discerning that? Well, if you have a feeling you're supposed to do something, you start forward, and it's not the right direction. God's going to turn you. You know, a ship does not turn unless it's underway. So you take that step. You take that, make that move, and he will direct you. You know, I, I would have never thought I'd gone to Africa until I met her. And that's the thing. God brought us together. We both had failed marriages in our past. But God has taken junk and turned it into something that he can use. Do we be, do it perfect? No, we make mistakes. We even argue, you know. <laughs> oh, surely not. But you can't produce anything if you don't plant the seed or you don't take the step. You know, if I'm going to walk across that street, 
I got to take that first step and the next one. Mm -hmm. And he will direct your steps if, and where he wants you. Gene's going to fight you for that microphone. You, well, you might not get no, that there's back. one. Bob, there are two or three things that we've just they're constants that God keeps using in our, in, in our lives. And Bob already talked about one of them. Um, uh, when um, uh, they sent out a servant to find a wife for Isaac, when he was describing his situation, he said, I being on the way, in other words, when he was going, God led me. Uh, that's one thing. God cannot guide a stationary object. Second thing, remember Moses in the burning bush interview, Okay. Moses is there, God's appeared to Moses, and God says to Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses is looking like, huh? This is a shepherd's staff, so what? And, but that was the thing that God used. He used that staff to do miracles. He used that staff to confront, confront Pharaoh. And eventually, when they were being led out of, the, out of Egypt and they were crossing the Red Sea, that was the staff that Moses was holding up as God parted the waters. Now, what does that mean in, practically? It means look in your situation. Is there anything that God has built into your situation that you haven't acted on yet? Um, night, the fall of 1985, we, we were, things were going okay. I'd finished my residency, but we were just very uncomfortable. We didn't understand. Um, everything was going great, and we were uncomfortable. And so finally, um, our pastor preached a sermon, he said, and he, and he uh, said uh, it was a sermon about Jonah and the fact that Jonah should have, you know, believed God and uh, followed orders in the first place. But he made a statement, he said, if God's given you something in your, in your situation and you haven't acted on it, you're going to be uncomfortable until you do. Well, we had received, uh, incidentally, we had received a, an application to a mission group and uh, we did not wind up going with them. Um, they didn't want people, people who were previously divorced, remarried, and charismatic. Somehow that sort of didn't work. But, <laughs> but the thing was, once we, did the, once we filled out that application and we got that going, then the uncomfortable feeling left. And the reason it left was we had taken the first step. Now, it wasn't the final step. It was the first step. But that was what finally, the, the whole process finally led to our um, applying to the mission group to send us to Ghana in the first place. So um, I think that's one of the big things that we've always had. To, if we come to an impasse and it looks like God isn't doing something, then usually it means that he's already put something in our situation and we have yet to act on it. Mm -hmm. So perhaps there's somebody here today who, I mean, you think... You'd, you'd like to do something, you're not sure what, and you're feeling uncomfortable and you don't know why you're feeling uncomfortable. Um, the advice we would give you is um, ask God to show you if there's anything in your situation, even if it's something really small, that you haven't, that you've overlooked and you haven't acted on. Mm. That's a good word. The other thing is we don't make decisions without praying about it and both getting the same answer from God. You can't go in two different directions. So it might be a simple, uh, do we go to the, the oaks or do we go to the grove? And he'll show us where we're going. Uh, do we go to see my brothers or, I'm sorry, my, 
I buried my brother two weeks ago. I still haven't got over that. But decisions in a family should be made jointly and through prayer. Well, hang on to that microphone. I'm going to have you pray for us in just a moment. But I just want to say, Bob and Jean, thank you for spending some time with us this morning. This has been good. I, I loved our conversation on Tuesday. I'm so glad that we could have this conversation with this gathering today. I, I want to just say that, you know, while we'll never probably have an interview opportunity with Tim Tebow here at the Grove, I do believe in that, that passage where the disciples are fighting over who gets to sit on the left or the right of Jesus in heaven someday, and he, he says, you know, whoever is first will be last. I truly believe that someday in eternity, those of us who got to share in this moment will be able to say, hey, I knew those, I knew those people. Like, I think that that will be the case. They will be famous in heaven, I, I have no doubt. Um, John, I'm going to have you come up and get ready to lead us in our last song, and... Um, as, as he leads our last song, I'd love for you guys to maybe go to the back so that you can greet people. We're going to have an opportunity. We have a little love offering, but don't go yet because you're going to pray. Um, we're going to have a little love offering. So if you'd like to support their ministry and help them get back in November, there's a plate back there. And then I think we have a slide. If you want to write a check, you can do that. Make sure that you put uh, their name in the memo there. But Bob, would you just, uh, would you just pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege and the time to be here. I thank you that you have led us through this discussion, but I ask, Lord, if there's anything that we said about you, that is from you, that it would be nourished in the hearts of everyone here. And if there's anything we said that wasn't of you, we ask that it would just blow away like the dust in the wind. I ask that you would bless this church. We, you bless these, the youth and the children here, that it would become a lighthouse in this community, that it would just, your presence would burn so brightly here that people would, passing by, would want to stop and find out what is happening here. And I thank you again, Lord, for the gift of your son. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for these two? Just let them know how much we appreciate them.